It's probably fair to say that everyone loves a good story, right? But does anyone care when it's a corporation telling the story? Well, AFP journalists Sam Kingsley and Atte Palomaki, Vatsila's Executive VP of Communications, Branding and Marketing, are joining me today to pick apart this question. You're listening to Context Matters, a monthly podcast produced by the storytelling specialists at Spoon Helsinki. Hello everyone, I'm Denise Wall of the oddly named content and strategy agency Spoon. And I'm also the host of our monthly podcast, Context Matters. In this series, I'll sit down with experts, movers and shakers, and overall interesting people to talk about issues affecting our industry. Now, this is the first episode in our series, so we want to focus on storytelling because it lies at the heart of what we do with our clients, whether it be video, text stories, animations, and yes, podcasts. So simply put, we'll help tell powerful and relevant stories by adding the context that makes stories meaningful to people. But enough about us at Spoon. It's time to introduce my guests, AFP journalist Sam Kingsley and Vartsila's comms, branding and marketing EVP Atte Palomaki. Welcome to you both. Hello. Lovely to be here. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite, Denise. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Let's get into our conversation. Now that we've got introductions out of the way, why don't we break the ice uh, and we'll start with you, Sam, and tell us about what's behind your passion for a good story. Well, so I'm a journalist and um, right now I work for a newswire, which means I do sort of much more things like breaking news and sort of shorter, shorter pieces. But actually, for many years before this, I used to make documentaries which are obviously much longer and and in those the storytelling is much clearer you sort of understand that it has to have a beginning a middle and end it has to have drama but I always like to think that actually even when I'm writing a sort of very short piece about something that's happening today then storytelling is is still absolutely key so what makes a good story I mean stories about people really aren't they and 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 you know who are the people behind what's happening? What drives them? What what are the obstacles that they have to overcome to to get where they are? And and I think that you can apply that to to something you know really really sort of small like every day or or if we're talking about in in Finland at the moment, then what's happening with the the government and and the fact that they people are saying the government might fall, um, or it can be um, you know it it can be applied to to sort of brands as well obviously and 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 in companies telling a story so. So for me, that's something I try and put into everything that I, mm. I do. So it's about connecting people, I mm. guess. Now, Ate, I know that you were also a journalist back in the day. Uh, what was the approach to storytelling then? Uh, do you think anything has changed between how journalists and, and other media professionals approach telling stories compared to today? Well, I think that pretty much everything has changed with the rise of social media and uh I recall how Time magazine, they every year they uh, publish this person of the year. And in 2006, that person of the year was you. Mm. And the idea there was really that er- earlier, as media was institutionalized, there were the networks, there were the publishers. Now everybody suddenly could become a publisher and there were no limits to it. And with that, you know, when communication was democratized, I think that really 
started to disrupt the whole industry. What kind of demands, what kinds of stresses did it put on media organizations that previously sort of had dominion over, you know, they were the gatekeepers of how stories are told and indeed what stories were told? Well, we did definitely see, you know, quite a shift in a sense of, you know, how the whole logic of that industry changed. And uh, we've seen, you know, big difficulties for newspapers, magazines, and and especially the print side of publication. And there, I, I would really say that it put the request on the uh, on the networks and, and 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 traditional media to really engage with the people to get the mechanisms in in a way that they can create the dialogue and uh, be in touch with them in a much more effective way than before. I think Atta, you're absolutely right. And I would what I would add to that is as well as this kind of massive shift in digitization and, and social media and so on. We've also now had, what, 20 years of, of reality TV and this kind of <laughs> idea that things need to be about, we, we want to really see the, the, sort of the people and these kind of personal intimate details and, and we're all conditioned to, to that kind of, uh, I suppose you could call it kind of authentic, real kind of human storytelling which uh, which obviously ties in perfectly with social media because it's it's so direct very true very true yeah that's right it's 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 all about the dirty details and nothing's off the table really and and what we're seeing is a situation in where uh, a situation where, for example, brands have to compete with that sort of authenticity that you're talking about, Sam. But we'll get back to that a bit later. I want to talk, uh, address this question to you, Atte. If we fast forward to today and talk about your experiences with storytelling in corporate communications, where would you say that Vartsila lies on a spectrum from mm, maybe not so important to we can't live without it? I would say that we are definitely now on the far end of storytelling. So that is something that, uh, well, we had in the past our brand magazines and print publications that we spread out to our audiences. Today, that's completely digital. So uh, we've scrapped everything physical and are producing content which is very much storytelling driven on a daily basis. And it's all of it is really around the thought leadership of the company. So we are very much a purpose-driven company. We want to focus on enabling sustainable societies. And with our storytelling, we bring about how our technologies, our innovation and our people are able to do that and demonstrate the value that we are creating. Now, we just talked about, you know, when Sam talked about reality TV and, and raised the point that people really want to connect with, with authentic human beings. How do you think you're able to do that in your sto- storytelling and with your thought leadership? Do you think that you're quite there yet or have you got some ways to go? Uh, well, definitely we want to develop along the way. So I, I would say that something that we have more to learn is really about, you know, the differences in the di- audience group. So naturally, all of us are people with our own passions and uh, and drives, and we need to understand what those are amongst the people we are talking to. And uh, that is something that with data we are able to dig into that in a deeper way. Now, Sam, I may be getting you into a bit of a tight spot here uh, because I am going to raise the fact that you have held roles where you are not telling narratives for news organizations uh, in, in your career. 
tell us a bit about how you experienced storytelling back then. So so this is when you were uh, not in a media organization, uh, but you were the man who were spinning information, <laughs> okay, if we, yeah. we put it that yeah, so way. You, I think to uh, put our <laughs> listeners out of their misery, what Denise is mysteriously referring to. Uh, a few years ago, I took a couple of years out of journalism and I worked for the British Embassy here in Helsinki. And there I was working on the kind of policy side. So my job was to sort of, it was just at the start of Brexit, just after the vote, my job was to explain to Finnish audience, different Finnish sort of groups and stakeholders what was going on in Britain, and no one really knew, to be quite honest, uh, but also to report back in the other direction and explain to, to the foreign office in the UK what people in Finland were thinking. And yeah, I mean, there as well, storytelling is is really, really sort of at the key or, or maybe sort of elements of it. So, I mean, if you think about something really massive like Brexit or coronavirus or something, what speaks to people is not talking to them about these huge numbers and infection rates and stuff. It's the small details. I mean, so in terms of Brexit, it was the big red bus that went around. Or in terms of coronavirus, it's people in Italy singing on their balconies. And it's it's those kind of small, often human, but not always, details that, that, that sort of stick with people and resonate with people and allow you to kind of engage with them. And so back then, also, that was kind of really key part of what I was doing was to try and find the kind of ways to engage different audiences in in Finland, whether it was companies or students who wanted to come to the UK to study and find why is this important to you? What about this kind of speaks to you? So, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right to draw a parallel there. I think that's that's very true. Ate, is any, any of this something that speaks to you in terms of the storytelling that you're doing in, in your corporate role? I certainly recognize that. So it's, it's a challenge when we talk about decarbonization, how to make that relatable, because they are, you know, big words about zero emissions and uh, global warming, climate crisis. And they might be scary words for many. So if we only keep it on that type of a level, it's not that relatable. But if we bring it really to the detail on what is happening on the ground and how we as a company are doing certain things to improve the situation and what our customers can do from their end and to do that in a tangible way, it is so much more meaningful and uh, people will follow. Now, We have to admit that the environment in which people uh, tell and consume stories today has changed dramatically over the years. And you've both alluded to that after you talked about social media. And Sam, you, you talked about reality TV. And we also talked about the fact that the democratization of technology and information has seen the rise of user-generated content, the, the kind of stuff that we see on Instagram and, and YouTube and TikTok, for example. We're also in the age of the influencer. How do you think brands can maintain people's attention in this kind of uh, what's what some per- some person recently alluded to as the attention economy? Actually, uh, where everything is about grabbing eyeballs. What can brands do in that area? Well, as Sam said earlier, people want to hear about people, and that's really also for brands something that we need to take into consideration. So, finding the true stories and 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 the ways to really make it stick and at the same time really you know finding the subjects and the right tone of voice 
where you can hook the audiences because I think that's the big challenge today that when there's so much noise out there, you need to be able to make your point at the very beginning. And that is definitely a challenge for the brands. And Sam, I mean, now we're in an era of fake news, for example, where uh, armchair experts are challenging traditional news organizations in in terms of sharing information and, and sharing know-how. How how do you think that you can respond to this kind of situation? Yeah, I think that the the sort of traditional barriers of of a kind of one way communication from this sort of big, you know, institution or something that that imparts information that that has definitely completely changed. It's it's two way. It's sort of interactive. It's it's much more direct. And I mean, just to to go back to what Atte was saying, I mean, in terms of grabbing people's attention, it really is about finding those those ways that that what you are offering speaks to people. I mean, Vartila is a good example. It's not like we go into a shop and buy a Vartila product off the shelf or, or sort of, you know, off, off Amazon. But that doesn't mean that, that there isn't a way to make it real to people. And I mean, I think that another aspect is also in, in terms of the brand's values and your own history. I mean, those are about people and they're about decisions that people have made and people's stories. And for instance, you know, for a, a company to think, who are we? What are our values? But also in our history, what are those moments where we were sort of making the company and suddenly everything changed and we had this, oh my God, moments. And, and those kinds of stories and, and telling those to your audience can really help bring people along with you and, and make them feel this kind of engagement with your brand. Absolutely. Now, I'll change tack a little bit and t- talk about an article that I recently read. It was quite interesting because the writer said that people simply don't care what brands have to say. What they're interested in, he argues, is what other people have to say, as we've discussed here earlier. People like influencers, reviewers, their peers, experts, authorities, even customers. How do you sort of get in there? How do you get your voice in there? And how do you craft a story that people will be interested in versus what, say, a Kardashian uh, might be telling us about this week? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I'd say that, you know, even in the B2B sphere where Vartila operates, the connection to the everyday life, it might not be that apparent. And therefore, we need to really look at what the ultimate impact is. So, you know, what are consumers or customers' customers, how they feel the benefits of certain things and uh, build the messaging really around that. And obviously, it's very important for us that having an authentic brand purpose and showing how we live up to that purpose and how that purpose then has the impact on everyday lives of the people around the planet. That is, for us, it's an effective way to do this. Do you find that that's a message that's been resonating? What kind of uh, reaction have you been getting to communicating your purpose and, and, and your purpose of making life better for everyone on the planet? Is it something that you feel uh, you're getting insights that are reaching people? Definitely, we are getting a lot of positive attention for that. And, and, and if I think of, for example, people who uh, apply for jobs in the company, that's something that it always comes up in those discussions that, you know, one reason for them wanting to join Vartsila is because they can do something important and meaningful in the company. Now, of course, 
Companies and brands and news organizations as well, Sam, are also having to deploy their content on the same social channels as the sort of viral homemade stories that uh, individual users create. What do you think should come first when it comes to designing compelling stories for social channels? Should it be the story or should it be the platform? That's that's quite an interesting question because you can offer a range of different things, sometimes all at once. I mean, just like you were saying out there, you, you, you might want to sort of engage with people who really see their sort of destiny as tied with your brand. But on the other hand, you might just want to make people laugh. And I mean, you see this a lot now. I think companies do are starting to at least understand this. You know, they might have a social media presence, which is quite sort of playful or very human, even though it's a sort of faceless product. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, as as you sort of suggesting, Denise, different platforms have different kinds of audiences, and and you engage in different ways. And obviously, the visual is really important as well. And I mean, with a sort of manufacturing business or something, sometimes people just like to watch really cool videos of how massive machines are made or how a you know a building is built or knocked down or, or something like that. And I mean, those kinds of opportunities to engage with people are actually just as important as the sort of really meaningful higher level things, I would say. Yeah, and it's very important that these uh, opportunities rising from the different social media platforms are understood and that content is being created in a way that it's natural and it works very well and at the same time building a consistent brand experience so you use the Instagram for lighter content you use the LinkedIn for the professional type content Twitter for generating traffic to other sites by small messages and then Facebook for the the people related content and then you have the TikToks and what not rising and there I guess the challenge is really to to understand what the potential and what the longevity of these different platforms are because you know entering them you need to have something of a plan or strategy to do that in an effective way you can't just go out and, and shoot yeah absolutely i think there are lots of companies that have found that it's difficult to figure out what is the alchemy for uh, succeeding on channels such as snapchat and tiktok for example We've talked a lot about the challenges involved in spinning a good yarn in a very competitive landscape. But maybe we should turn the focus to examples of good or even great storytelling. You guys noticed any instances of corporate storytelling that really nailed it? Well, my all-time favorite would be the Virgin brand and Sir Richard Branson, which obviously it's all, all around. So being, you know, this entrepreneur, wild spirit, self-made billionaire who rebels against everything and uh, and the way that brand and all of the sub-brands under it have been created in a way to really live up to those same standards. And today, after the decades, they're still using Sir Richard as, you know, the prime ambassador, him doing his stunts and adventures around the world and writing blogs and, you know, breaking every possible rule around there. So people really find him quite compelling and really the great thing around that brand building is the humor that they have around it so that's quite rare in brand storytelling absolutely the humor and the fact that it's been consistent 
throughout over all of these years. Sam, what about you? Yeah, my example is actually much smaller and kind of from the other end of the spectrum, but it's a video that uh, I came across online about the co-founder of Brooklyn Brewery, the sort of craft craft beer. His name's Steve Hindi, and he used to be a uh, war correspondent in the Middle East. And this sort of video, it starts off and it's talking about a car bomb going off in Beirut, and it really sort of takes you into that. And then it kind of cuts to Steve Hindi talking about how you know he picked up a piece of shrapnel from the the wreckage of this car bomb and he still has it on his desk now and it sort of reminds him of where he came from in the, in that sort of awful environment and what i really like about that video is that it takes you on a, a really surprising journey that you you start off and you're just in there because it's an exciting story and you want to find out what happens next but then when it switches and you realize it's talking about beer actually it feels like it's really authentic it, it it's real what he's saying and 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 that sticks with you and it really takes you into the emotion of how he made his life choices so that's that i think for me is a really successful example and i'm sure there are many others but if we sort of uh, flip the script and think about instances where the story or the effort of telling the story didn't quite hit the mark. What what comes to mind for you? Well, to me, it would be most of the stuff out there. So it's really, you know, various, it's all various bad. shades of grey, what, what they have. So I think it's only these gems that really strike mm. out and the vast amount of stuff, it really doesn't get your heart beating. A lot of noise, basically. Yes, yeah, it's very true, uh, sadly. I mean, one kind of quite egregious example, do you remember a few years ago, the Pepsi advert with uh, Kendall Jenner? And she's modelling... Uh, and she sees a sort of Black Lives Matter style protest and she sort of wades in there and gives the policeman a can of Pepsi and suddenly everybody loves each other and she saves the world. And, and that created a real backlash and Pepsi ended up pulling it. And that is a really good example of just sort of trying to jump on the bandwagon of some big movement and hook your brand onto it without any real authenticity. And, and people can see straight through that. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Gold standard on many levels. Now, we've come to the point in the chat where I wanted to ask you both to look into your crystal balls and imagine us sitting here 10 years from now. How do you see the landscape for storytelling in general changing, whether we look at it from the perspective of technologies or consumption habits or even distribution channels? What do you see? I see that companies and brands need to have an omni-channel approach. So it's very difficult to predict that, you know, what are the important channels going forward. And therefore, one has to be available in most of them. And to do that in a relevant way, to test, to interact, and, uh, and to create a seamless experience, which is tailored across those different channels. At the same time, the narrative, I believe that it will be even more purpose-driven. So we see that a lot of companies are moving that way and, you know, that space will become quite crowded in the future, but one has to make content that really strikes out in um, this uh, purpose-driven narrative. And to do so, one has to have this tailored, even bespoke type of approach and, and to do that in a targeted way towards the different audiences. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. And I, I think it will be it will be more personalized. It will be more interactive. There will be sort of much greater, even greater than now scope for sort of user content. And it won't just be one way. 
But then I also think that the fundamentals of storytelling won't change. And I don't think they have changed even through all of the, the developments we've been talking about. It's still going to be about people. It's still going to be about real real emotions and, and real things that are that are happening that sort of feel feel like they connect with us. Okay. Well, let's hope we can have that conversation in 10 years' time. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, the insights will be every bit as useful and exciting as we've shared today. And um, I'm sure we won't run out of discussion points when it comes to communicating and to storytelling. On that note, though, I'd like to thank you, our guests, Sam Kingsley and Atte Palomaki, for joining me on Context Matters and for sharing your thoughts and your experiences. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, a big thanks to our listeners for joining the podcast and experiencing the stories we'll be telling. I'm Denise Wall, and this has been Context Matters. You've been listening to Context Matters, a podcast produced by Spoon Helsinki, a content agency and part of the People, People, People agency group. <laughs>